Hi Gabriel. Hello. How are you? I'm good. We are uh, in the countryside of France at the Puff Performing Arts Forum. Yeah. And this is an excellent place for time traveling. So um, today we're gonna take you back to last week when we were in Malmö. True. Um, why did we end up there? Well, we had a, a project with the Theater Insight and we are there to explore collaborative storytelling but also uh, different public or semi-public spaces. Yeah, and one day we um, we decided to do a podcast together uh, with some of the uh, participants in the project. It's you and me. Yes, and then it's Liv Westersko. And Tom Kirai. And special guests for this hour was Harry Josephine Giles, a Scottish game designer, artist and activist. Um, and uh, Harry Josephine happened to um, to uh, be invited by us, specifically because we, as a group, played their game Precariat some weeks earlier. Exactly, and that was an, uh, a really nice experience. Uh, you play as a a small collective of uh, precarious workers uh, and you you basically try to get through day by day life okay so uh, let's start the um, start the tape start the tape and uh, go back in time because i know nothing i just got an email yesterday and yeah, thought yeah, okay yeah. yeah i will come <laughs> I will, that's cool yeah, yeah. Yeah, but me and Ebba mm-hmm. works in a group called Nix, mm-hmm. and uh, we do a project now where we've involved Liv, who, who is an actor, mm-hmm. and Tom, who is a game master. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> All right, let's say that. As in, like, Nordic LARP, or...? Um, well, yeah. Let's, yeah, sure. I've done that, too. Okay. No, you <laughs> no, can but, explain, because... No, but I, I used to... Uh, yeah. I used to to study games in Copenhagen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we've also done a so, some kind of participatory mm-hmm. theater thing together before. Mm-hmm. Um, where, like, we mixed um, acting and mm-hmm. these sort of live action games. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, Tom and Liv was mm-hmm. running that show. Yeah. And uh, we wrote it. Uh, exactly. Okay. Um, yeah, yes, and then we wanted to uh, make some an, another project. So th- this and this, it's this one. Yeah. Where we maybe dig into some aspect of that uh-huh. show, but in a different uh, way. Uh-huh. Um, so we started out with some questions about how do like, role-playing uh, relate to... Uh, like modes of working in mm-hmm. late capitalism or something mm. in a very like big question but in the the, the play with it was uh, like a um, contemporary sci-fi setting we were creating a fictional company mm-hmm. and the, the audience were invited to work mm-hmm. at this company um, and the work was actually games mm-hmm. or like 
ex uh, exercises where you uh, like calibrate your body. Yeah, calibrate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In different, like maybe you just look at each other, or mm -hmm. you uh, rate your your uh, co-workers mm -hmm. from how they look or how they work, and um, yeah. So then we wanted to like, engage in this topic in an another way. Mm -hmm. mm. Right. With, yeah, with the thing that we're doing now. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're trying to look at some of the same things from a different angle. Mm -hmm. um, and also a bit more free because we're not uh, confined to like a stage or uh, mm -hmm. anything like that. Um, but, yeah. And, and like the first week, mm -hmm. we decided to play your game. Oh, so you have played yeah. a which, which did you play the new version or the old one? I uh, forget. The, the, the one we uh, probably the old one. Yeah, is it was it really 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 difficult for anything good to happen? That was even that was that was before we understood that all the uh, effects, yeah, the conditions, they stack. <laughs> we yeah. thought that you wipe the slate clean every week. Yeah, we have made we it much better now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have made it much better now. Right. Um, <laughs> that was we wrote that game in a week for mm. there was a, a game jam called Rent Punk like uh -huh. two right. years ago and we wrote that game in like a week and we didn't test it enough and now we are working on a proper mm. version of it. So the new version of it is, is much more playable and less miserable. Oh. Um, I mean I think the misery was still interesting, but we yeah. But, but also it was like love because we didn't put the skills on love, and that was <laughs> well, bad. We understood <laughs> yeah, we at understood the end. That in the end. Yeah. Yeah, we were like, yeah. all right, there's a, More, there's uh, like a rhetoric here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But may, could you tell us something about the, about that game? Like, uh -huh. why, why did you, how did you, come up with that? Um. Hmm. It was really a. It was a sort of. It was a response to this to this game jam originally. So somebody was calling this game jam called Rent Punk, and they were trying to like define a genre of rent punk, like uh, of making games around the idea of of precarious living and making rent. And there were lots of different responses to that, but we decided we wanted to me and Adam to make a game that, I suppose, modelled our lives <laughs> a bit, um, but in a way that um, provided both. A sort of material critique of late capitalism, and like enable people to sort of role play ways out. Because as you discovered, like doing love and repair is in the mechanics of the game actually really important. We've we've adjusted it so it's less brutal, <laughs> but like the game is set up to to demonstrate a tension between making your rent and actually having a nice life, uh -huh. but also that having a nice life. And having a reasonable degree of like solidarity and and care mm. is necessary for people to be able to make their rent in that situation. Yeah. So so it's kind of about that, um, yeah, that interplay between social and material economy. Um, and that's like the the theory. So there's a bit of like economic theory behind the game. Mm -hmm. And then we also wanted to um, make a game that was storytelling about like ordinary lives that was using some of the dynamics of role-playing but be but and even using some of the tropes because you can play the game in like a fantasy setting or a sci-fi setting as long as the kind of yeah. setup is right we chose to play in uh, 1999 yeah uh, version version of Mud Map. yeah right. so sort so of a tech bubble uh, <laughs> uh, like 
Well, I guess it wasn't historically accurate, but who cares? Like yeah. we wanted it to be 99. Yeah. I guess the tech, the tech bubble. <laughs> so we could play music it. from 99. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. We did, did a, a Spotify playlist just to like. Yeah. Uh, hits from 1999. <laughs> yeah, I think in the new game book we're going to have like a section recommending that you build a playlist for yeah, you. The, the cringe. Yeah. <laughs> Palpable. Um, but basically it's for for activities you can prioritize yeah. in between. It's like creativity, the making, making, earning, loving and resisting. Yeah. 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 And that was that was I mean, it's it's completely politically biased. It's just that's what we think is important in the world. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's excellent. Yeah. I think that's what we sort of latched onto yeah. when yeah. we played it, because, mm. like we said, we wanted to, or we still want to, just explore role play mm. as as maybe one mode um, that that capital works. Mm. So, so that means also mm. taking into account, like the sort of uh, um, hidden agendas or like the the darker parts of these things that we really enjoy to do as a hobby, mm. or that I enjoy to do as a hobby. Like, mm. uh, so first we we tried out uh, Apocalypse World because mm. it's just a solid yeah, yeah. <laughs> role playing game, and you get to like you don't have to care about like uh, building the world yeah. to be believable you can just make it larger than life or whatever yeah and it was just a nice um, contrast to move into playing precariat because mm -hmm. i think this uh, apocalypse world fosters a like continually disintegrating community mm -hmm. but I, I thought it was such a nice shift to see uh, a storytelling a role-playing game that work towards building community mm. or, or trying to make things like not fall apart all the time yeah because uh, that's what happens in a lot of like um, uh, say political uh, hacks yeah. for example of apocalypse world that I still like really really respect but there's like uh, a, a wonderful game called uh, dream of skill uh, which is oh it's it's more uh, it's more geared towards like uh, uh, building a queer community after the apocalypse. Is that Avery McNaldo? Yes. Yeah. Or Avery Alder, I think. Okay. It's the latest. Okay. <laughs> Iteration. Yes. New and improved. Um, but uh, exactly. Uh, like, I think that's a challenge mm. uh, when you build a game that is sort of revolving on uh, that sort of struggle mm. from within. And then to sort of play precariat and see yeah. like all these forces from outside and just yeah. trying to like keep it together as a group it was um, tricky. Have you played her a quiet ear? I have from the same designer that you might really enjoy playing that one. Yeah. And it's it's only about an hour or two. You all play together as a community, so you're all you you'd never take like a particular character. You're all joining together to tell the story of a single community, mm -hmm. and it involves both built things coming together and things falling apart and it models that in a really, really clever way. It was one of our big inspirations actually. Mm. And the, the new version of Precariat is, is, is a bit sort of closer to this mm. storytelling style of A Quiet Year. Yeah. Because that was, uh, we didn't play, we played like for one session yeah. only. Um, 
and I didn't really get the like how to play out the like the week and mm. scenes. We did it in different ways. Some sometimes we did more of a like theater improv like mm -hmm. role playing situation where one of us was becoming like the game master or a director of the mm -hmm. of the story and uh, so on. And some of the tasks uh, because you draw a card mm -hmm. and you uh, you look at the list like what to to do. And sometimes it became more of just like talking. Mm -hmm. Mm. I don't know if it was that we didn't like understand. No, because exactly our rules were very vaguely written. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's definitely don't, like don't worry if anything didn't mm. work. Mm. It's because the rules were really yeah, vaguely yeah. inherently yeah, written. But it's just, uh, but but I like the the dynamic also between this uh, kind of uh, rolling the die mm -hmm. and. Uh, Putting the yeah. die out, mm. like from taking turns to yeah, the taking more turns open. into more open because you also like there was this sort of urge to play, mm. and that the weekend was so short, so you really like it felt like some kind of freedom to go into the mode of like free play. Mm. I think that's uh, nice. maybe that's nice. something we brought into our work in this yeah. week actually. Mm. Think so, because mm -hmm. we we have a lot of taking turns and then <laughs> yes. opening, opening up, up something mm -hmm. kind of. I don't know if it's okay if I ask something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but please. So, uh, since I come from, uh, let's say, game studies, uh -huh. um, I I was already like tuned into uh, what uh, Paulo is doing. Ah, yeah, so I was yeah. really really interested and excited. Yeah. Uh, to hear about the protester games, yeah, yeah. Like, can you talk a bit about what that is? Sure. And yeah. How that, like, um, how that happened. Apollo and I just followed each other on Twitter for a while. I've been like, I'm, I'm also a bit geeking out about it because I'm a big fan <laughs> of Apollo's work. Right. Um. Um, well, uh, that Paolo guy that Tom is mentioning here, who's that? Gabriel. It's a game designer with a small company called Molly Industria, and uh, they are like famous or not famous, but known <laughs> maybe for their like casual, political, often web-based games. And then we properly met because he ran a course at his university called internet resistance or something and it was about like internet art or post-internet art or like yeah essentially political post-internet art and he put the whole course syllabus online and used a facebook group to coordinate the course <laughs> so even though there were like students who were paying for it i just thought like oh what happens if i just crash this course <laughs> so, I, so i just joined the course and started doing all the exercises because i thought it was interesting and everyone got really on board with it it only took them like a week or two to realize i wasn't actually in the class <laughs> um, so that was really really funny um and i learned a lot i couldn't keep it going forever but um. so you basically role played your way into yeah <laughs> yeah, totally. I role played my way into the class. It was great fun. Um, so Pearl and I just chatted a few times as a result of that. And then I was making some <coughs> other um, projects. Um, so I did a project called Casual Games for Casual Hikers, which was which is a similar format to the protest games. And it's just it's writing um, what I've been calling game poems. I think there's actually a, I can't. I 
think he might be Norwegian. There's a game designer called Gizmet who, who's written this lovely little book called 21 Game Poems. Right. Um, and they're just very, very, very short role-playing games. It's really worth looking at. Um, and most of them are playable, but they also have this sort of idea of sometimes they're, they're a little bit impossible to play or the playing kind of happens in your imagination or like when you read the game you can imagine it and, mm -hmm. and imagining the game is almost like playing it. Dunno. So it, it's like a cross between game and poem and I got interested in that form. So I wrote these super, super short poem-like role-playing games for hillwalking, which is just something I love doing. And it was kind of celebrating... Sorry? Oh, hillwalking, hiking. Okay. Yeah, yeah, oh. walking, walking on hills. hills. Walking yeah. hills. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I heard hell. <laughs> when you walk through hell, bring <laughs> those games. The opposite. <laughs> right. the, the, just the, the Dante games. Like, <laughs> just a thing I like to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no games, <laughs> and, and it was it was it was celebrating both the idea of casual walking, like not the sort of like super um, high tech like mountaineering where you have to have all the right boots and the right coats and everything but just like very relaxed hill walking which I love mm -hmm. um, and also celebrating casual games which I don't know if you have the same term but but people often call a game a casual game a computer game when it's like bejeweled or, or flappy bird mm -hmm. on your phone like there's a distinction between casual games and hardcore games mm. and like casual is feminized and considered less valuable as a type of game but I actually love this idea of a game that's really easy to get into and doesn't take any preparation and that anyone can play. So I was working with that form and I did a form for walking in the hills and I did a form for uh, a set for walking in the um, in the city and um, Paolo just really liked them and so sent me an email saying do you want to do some of this for, for protests and that's that's literally how it happened he just emailed me and said do you want to write some games for protesters mm -hmm. with me so um, we, we just spent a couple of weeks firing ideas yeah. back and forth and then put it out online do you have an example? Oh, of the protest games. Oh, have you have you looked at them at all? I skimmed. Yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. I mean, we could try something else tomorrow. I think honestly that I just like skimmed it, and I was like, this is like this is too good. Like, <laughs> this is just too good. I, I, the one I remember is uh, like the 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 aim of the game is to uh, to taunt uh, the police, <laughs> and you win yeah, if yeah. the police uh, like. Uh, insults you. Yeah, um, that's. <laughs> I, that, to talk, to talk. Well, like to. Um, there was this group. Uh, yeah. okay. There's this group that doesn't quite exist anymore called the Clandestine Insurgent Rebel Clown Army. I don't know if you've ever seen, heard of them. Yeah. And they they did like radical clowning, mm -hmm. um, and I actually that game is stolen from them. Um, so it was a technique that they taught of kind of um, mocking and defusing the threat of the police by like m mimicking their walk like if you mm -hmm. if you're dressed in a clown costume and right. stand next walk next to a police officer and just do exactly what they're doing but in a slightly exaggerated way right they really hate it but there's also nothing they can do about it we um, had we had a version of that in finland i think like an anti-fascist version yeah because uh, there there have been these like weird uh vigilante groups forming uh, in like Finland and Sweden, and they call themselves the Soldiers of Odin. Oh. They were followed in Finland by the Lolgers of Odin, which is just a, a, a clown yeah, yeah. demonstration. Yeah. Uh, and their aim was to like one up yeah. the Soldiers of Odin and be more yeah. like more Nordic and yeah. more clowning. Our problem is that we have, we don't have many of them in Scotland. We don't have many of them, but um, they're really heavily. Um, 
shepherded by the police. Like whenever they do a public action, they're just surrounded by police. Yeah. Um, so, and the police actively facilitate their like they protect the fascists and will march alongside them so that we can't get to them. And it's really frustrating. Anyway. <laughs> Um, oh, well, so here, here uh, really, here's a quick, one of the quick games is phony call. While on a demonstration, call a friend or a family member and talk to them about the protest. Or pretend to call them and talk to them about the protest. All the other players pay close attention to your side of the conversation and then guess whether it was a real phone call or not. One correct guesser makes the next phone or a phone you call. So it's like, oh, it's, a, it's a way of modelling having a conversation with somebody. And that's a really silly one. And then there are some that are more like training games. So this one is called No Comment, um, which is to like train people to say no comment in response to the police and nothing else. Mm -hmm. So one of you is a cop and the other is the prisoner. The prisoner's job is to ignore or reply no comment to everything the cop says. The cop's job is to try and make the prisoner laugh. If the prisoner laughs or says anything other than no comment, the cop wins. A lawyer will arrive in 10 minutes to shut down the interrogation. Um, and that's just a folk game, right? You know that folk game where you just try and make somebody laugh, but we thought, oh, you could adapt this to a training game to get people to play, to learn to say no comment. I came to think about one time we went to a demonstration and we were like, kind of played by the police, put mm -hmm. a hand on our shoulder and said, like, when we do like this, you're allowed to make noise, and when we take oh. away your, our hand, you should be quiet. So we were having this, like, they were like the police were having their own protest games, like... <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, because we, we were allowed. <laughs> we were allowed to protest, but they were allowed free speech. <laughs> so we could not we could not make sounds when the fascists talk. <laughs> but when they when they were silent, we were allowed to make sounds. That's so, so it was turning into a kind of wow. game. work we do now we we are trying out maybe some different strategies mm -hmm. of uh, gaming that was in a bit based on like camouflaging or hiding mm -hmm. in plain sight mm -hmm. <laughs> sort of so as Tom mentioned we were we have been working in those like semi-public spaces where you're allowed to do whatever mm -hmm. but it's also uh, it also comes with some restrictions, but mm -hmm. a bit unclear. And uh, the feeling of, uh, okay, maybe not this space, it's special, because here it's really like, mm. you're in this mall. Uh, but um, still, like, <laughs> doing, other, like, doing some game activities or trying to think about the space that we are in. Um, and uh, maybe... Or, I mean, for me, it's a question about like, okay, how can we use those spaces that are created by capital mm. for something different, or is it different or not? Like, mm. in what economy do we uh, do we take place, or do we engage in when we go to, for example, studio, uh, one of the places that Tom mm -hmm. and do like a role-playing game? Mm. Like, what is what is that situation? Mm. Um, who are we when because we they are also like it's obvious that all those spaces are a bit mm -hmm. desperate in the sense of like we want attention we want culture like mm -hmm. in studio it's like uh, there is a big blackboard and it says like culture 
art, uh, business. Uh, business, and uh, yeah. so so they they want art yeah. and yeah, they want yeah. creativity yeah. and and but they don't but they don't want to buy it no. right because they, they do have like monetary capital but they don't want to buy cultural capital mm -hmm. they want cultural capital to like grow organically from whatever they built with their money <laughs> Well, that's because right. they know they can get it for free. Like they, they always know they can get culture for free. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, also, yeah. I guess it's yeah. the question of like how how culture happens. I mean, yeah. that we know that 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 culture happens yeah. maybe spontaneously or like by that we are drawn to each other and we want to do something. It cannot be created mm -hmm. maybe in the same way inside a, a like a an empty. Space. No, I mean it can't be created. I mean, culture is what people do, <laughs> so because they want to or need to or have a desire to, and maybe not what you pay pay people to do. Mm. That's mm. what I mean. So they know that they have to create something that create culture spontaneously, mm. like, right. like that. But yeah. I mean, I think this is also yeah. about gentrification, right? Mm. That that they want, they want the artists in there because when culture is made, it raises the property value of all of the land around and then the businesses come in and then they can get rid of the artists because they don't need them anymore. Like, that's what happens. I don't know, do you have a different word for it in, in Swedish? What no, would you call gentrification. Gentrification. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah. it is gentrification, but of a big investment, mm -hmm. both from, like, Malmö Live, for example, it's mm -hmm. financed both by Malmö Town, mm -hmm the concert hall and mm. also by the Clarion Hotel, mm. the hotel. Mm. Mm. and um, they create this venue and then just invite people and it's not like inviting the artists, it's inviting cre creative uh, yeah. people. The creative industries the creative is what we industry. call them in, in yeah, the UK, exactly. which tends to mean like advertising. Mm. Um, <laughs> or no, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what my question is, it's just fasc yeah. fascinating because it doesn't, doesn't fit into how I can understand like a, a place, because mm -hmm. it's a place that is, it has a lot of opportunities, because it's there are so few places in the city where you can hang out. Mm. And, and the other the one, in the other hand, it feels like you get tricked into something. Like, it's a bit like, it works in the same way as when you use some uh, social media or like when yeah. you use Google like yeah. Google documents that you know <laughs> that you kind of help them and in the same way you help yourself to collaborate with others and like yeah, yeah well it's cold outside like <laughs> it's also really cold outside <laughs> like it is it is a factor like I, I really think that it affects how we hang out or how we live and how we meet mm. Uh, like the fact that it's too cold to be outside mm. for very long, like half the year mm. in, in this country, uh, means that you need like indoor spaces mm. uh, where you can meet. And then the question is like, what are these spaces going to be? Like mm. libraries, uh, they're fine, but yeah. they 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 also go through this strange transformation from, you know, the traditional library where it's quiet and you have books and that's it uh, to this like everything is a cafe mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a way mm. 
it's, it just so happens that it's a huge cafe with a lot of books. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I think the place we are in now is interesting also because it's kind of on the other hill, on this other side of the hill, mm -hmm. in the sense of like, okay, the hype was already here mm -hmm. many, year, many yeah. years ago. Yeah. It moved on to yeah. the place we were last week. Mm. And, uh, and here is, you can see mm. like mm. the investment all around. And we are in a, we are in a, like an X shop of, yeah. of some kind, yeah. and and uh, it's and they try to cover up the fact that they are kind of failing, yeah. and uh, so they put up some some vague Bad installations <laughs> like something <laughs> I don't know, and uh, and when we ask them like could we use this space, they just uh, yeah. open it yeah. to yeah. us. Uh, okay, Gabriel, uh, when you when you talk about vague installations here uh, and the investments, I remember that when we talked, when we were sitting there, mm -hmm. I was thinking about like, okay, so are are we now one of those vague installations? Well, probably yes, we, because we were let into that space for free, so we kind of covered up yeah their the the non-existing store we are maybe the most vague installation of all yeah we were hardly noticed exactly like one person entered this yeah this space during one whole week of, of work yeah so for me the question around this is is always like that you know that you're not necessarily being tricked, but being used by capital. Like you know that you're being used, and you know that you are contributing to the um, the social economy of of where you're being brought in to work. Like there are very good reasons, economic reasons, that they want you in there. Um, but there's also the possibility of like of tricking them back, <laughs> essentially, or playing like how yeah. I think about it is like there's no purity and there's no there's no like there's no ethical cleanliness but there is the possibility of like using the resources that they give you and then beating them with it essentially like what can you do that yeah what can you do that wins essentially in the long run or rather how can you take their resources and then create something that that creates an alternative culture or an alternative economy and then i think you can also think of it as being a little bit like a a guerrilla war that like you can't hold any territory yeah. like they have the whole country like you can't hold any territory but you can like occupy a territory for a short space of time and then inflict some damage from there and then move on to another territory mm -hmm. so I think that's a useful political model to think about mm -hmm. um, but then the other thing to think about is that wherever like we are and by we I mean artists and often like young activists as well, we tend to be, tend to, not always, but we tend to be very mobile, we tend to be able to move cities, move countries, we're often not in one place forever, but there are a lot of people who will be like in the residential stuff around here their entire lives and they rely on the social resources that are here. Mm. Um, and that's where gentrification is really important and mm. maybe, you know, there's a, a role for taking more responsibility of over where you have to be. And I think there's been some really interesting work over the years on like artists versus gentrification. Um, mm. There's a, uh, I'll see if I can find it. There's a, a really good website. So um, yeah, if you are interested in those uh, 
gentrification texts. We can link to the website. I got it from Harry Josephine. Cool. Yeah. Well, Gabriel, that, that conversation back then, it was nice time. On that evening, we went to um, see a lecture from Harry Josephine at Medea down in the harbor in Malmö. Great. Okay. Um, I wanted to start uh, with a demonstration just to get you organized. Um, if uh, you see me tapping at my phone, I'm not, I'm not tweeting. Uh, you can tweet at me. I won't reply. Um, I just have a nifty uh, uh, PowerPoint controller on my phone. Yes, it works. Aha. All right. So I wanted to start with a brief demonstration, a really, really simple um, exercise for which um, you just need to get out a piece of paper and something to write with, something that you would like to destroy. And I'll just give you like a minute to do that. Doesn't have to be the worst thing in the world. Doesn't have to be like the entire institution of globalized state capitalism. Could just be a terrible breakfast. Doesn't have to even be political. Um, right, so you've all written something down. Okay, now, I want you to destroy that piece of paper. You can tear it, you can eat it. You can, like, eating it is really satisfying. You can scrunch it into a bowl, you can it in recycling, you can soak it in your tea. Just thoroughly destroy that piece of paper. Tear that word, that concept, that whatever into oblivion so that it no longer exists. All right, um, how, how did that feel, anyone? Okay, I hear an okay. <laughs> Satisfying, so we've got an okay. We've got a satisfying. Anyone else? Anyone else? Magic. Magic? Oh, wow, there was some magic. That's nice, yeah. I love a bit of magic ritual. A bit of magic ritual. Yeah, I think it can be quite nice to like make pictures of things and then destroy them. Um, what's the next thing to say? Yeah, um, did that action have any effect in the world? Sounds like a simple question. It's not. Does that, have, does that have an effect in the world for any of you? No? There's no right answer here. It's not like, it's not like primary school. <laughs> had a, no, there. Does anyone feel like it did? It's too uh, in, individual. It's too individual. So maybe it has an individual effect, but it doesn't necessarily have a social effect. But an individual is in the world. Maybe it has a conceptual effect, but doesn't have a material effect. But then, Max are in culture always intertwined anyway. We're going to come back to this, but I just want to kind of keep that idea in your mind of what it means to, um, to make a picture of something or, uh, or write down a word and then to destroy that picture um, rather than destroying the thing itself. I want you to keep in mind what that feels like and what that might do um, over the course of the, the talk. And, and think about the sort of materiality of that. Um, so just sort of gallery on the other side of the shopping mall corridor is no longer there. The uh, rules of the game are gone. There is no economic system shaping and determining and compelling and enabling any action.
the spaces between our tongues and the uh, roof. The roof is gone. <laughs> the daylight that comes in through the door is no longer there. This uh, building hasn't got a name. We don't have uh, names anymore. Literally all of the empty space between fundamental particles has closed up. And there is no name for that either. Our fingernails are gone. All the sound is gone. My uh, sensation of like sitting on the stool, I can no longer feel. There are no uh, fantasies. There is no gender. There are no blood. There is no meaning attached to words. You can no longer um, draw a line between thoughts and uh, speech. Origins are gone. My knees are gone. The table is gone. Our capacity to see is gone. And I I want you to close your eyes. <clears throat> there is no paper. There is no written thing. There are no eyelids. The white noise is gone. There are no human beings left. 